We're so blessed today. I join the welcome that's already been given to you. And I just want to know, do something for me. If you knew Bob Stamps or Bob Stamps and Ellen when they were at ORU, would you stand now? Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you heard me. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Some of you are members at, uh, uh, here, and some of you were students and friends of theirs then. We are so blessed today. How blessed we were at 9 o'clock when Ellen Stamp spoke to us. She shared about uh, the different chapters in her life. Before she met Bob, she, uh, was, she knew Corrie Boone. She was her traveling companion and her nurse, and sometimes her secretary. She literally <coughs> has ministered with Corey all over the world. At ORU, Bob was the chaplain, and people have been graduating to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world into every person's world. There are millions of people around the world know Bob Stamps. And then they've ministered beyond that at Asbury that's producing more Methodist preachers and more missionaries around the world than any seminary I know. I would just project this morning that this couple uh, is known and loved by more people around the world than anybody that Nancy and I know. We love them dearly. We're so blessed to have them with us this morning. I know that Bob Stamps was born in Texas. Uh, I know also that he was a youth minister while he was there. And then following that, I believe he came to ORU and how fruitful his ministry was there. Nancy and I want to say personally that we would not be in Tulsa if it were not for Bob Stamps and two other persons, Oral, um, Dr. Hamilton, and Bob Stamps. I met Bob Stamps in about 1974. I went to Chattanooga to a Holy Spirit conference, and Bob was on the program there scheduled to speak. Somebody else was scheduled. It didn't show up, and I got to preach at the last moment. Bob invited me to ORU, and Oral came down when the invitation was given at ORU, and I preached a couple of more times, taught a class there to the ministerial students, and before I got on the plane, Oral was talking to me about coming back and being a dean. And I said, Bob, I've just been teaching four years. I don't know a thing about being a dean. He said, that's good. You know, God won't have to unlearn anything in you. He can just give it all to you straight. Now, it's good to belong to a place like that and to be blessed like that. I'm so glad that Bob and Dr. Hamilton came to Atlanta. Or shocked us so when he asked us to come to Oklahoma. But Dr. Hamilton and Bob spent the night with us at our invitation and before they left, we knew there was a good chance that we would come. Then Nancy said, Jim, you've been talking about high school theology ought to do it all your life, and now you've got a chance to do it, and you're hesitating. I want to do what God's leading you to do, but I'm going to find it kind of difficult to live, to live with a man who is denying his own essence. And I said, get some boxes, honey. We're going to Oklahoma. If that hadn't happened... I wouldn't, she and I wouldn't get to attend this church. We wouldn't get to hear our sermon, our son preach every Sunday morning and be so blessed at how much better he does it than some of those sermons I delivered at ORU. And Bob, don't you say amen. <laughs> Bob and I are dear, dear brothers. I can't tell you how much we enjoyed each other. Oral did us a favor by asking us to work together in the spiritual life program on the campus. 
we had chaplains, student chaplains, in every wing of all those dormitories, and Bob trained them. Bob blessed me by letting me get in on training some of the students who were going to missions. And so we were together over and over again. Bob did a Wednesday chapel, and he loves communion. Nobody knows more about Holy Communion and worship than Bob Stamps. I think that's how he got his job. I think that's why Chris loves communion so much, and I think that's how he got his job at Asbury. He was teaching a short course there on worship, and the dean walked in, and he said to the students, you listen to this man, everything I know about worship, I learned from him at Oral Roberts University. Dr. Tennant is a, is a graduate or the undergraduate at ORU. Well, about the time I came in 1976 to uh, ORU, Bob met Ellen. And let me tell you, it was love at first sight. Seeing the dean, the dean of the chapel that much in love with Ellen, we wondered who he loved better, God or Ellen. But there's no question about that, really. But he's here this morning. And after her blessing in the first service, he's going to bless us in this service. Bob, I love you. I know what we're in store for. I'm glad you came this morning. I could tell you a lot of other stuff. He did his doctorate in Nottingham in England. I could tell you that Ellen was born in, in Holland. I could tell you that uh, they have two children, Peter John and Johanna. Uh, Peter John is in Denver, and Johanna's in South Africa. So you pray for them. I think they're making visits soon to go see those children. How I, I wish my grandchildren were here this morning to hear this sermon. But we'll share it with them by tape. And you get tapes, and you share it with your friends. Bob, we welcome you to bless us like you bless when you preach, because God blesses through you. Bless you, Jimmy. Bless you, brother. Thanks, brother. I love you. I wonder if both of us don't fall down here. <clears throat> well, if I... Uh... I should have given Jimmy a kiss. I've always wanted to give him a kiss, and now the Supreme Court said it's okay. <laughs> hi, everybody, and hi, old students. My Lord in heaven, I never dreamed we'd be back and uh, <clears throat> approaching the, our centenary year. Um, I just want to say a word of uh, gratitude to my wife. She's here, and I want to thank her for being here and loving me and supporting me. And praying for me right now. I also want to say a, a word of thanks to Jan Dargatz, who is my... Uh, Jan, let me see your hand. Are you there anywhere? Yeah, there she is back there. She's the best godmother that ever was and happens to be the godmother of our daughter, which is a great gift. And, of course, to my big brother over here, Jimmy Buskirk, Nancy, and then to all the students, of course. Thank you for coming. Um, I'm going to read my text a little later in the sermon. Uh, now that I'm retired, I can do anything I want to, and nobody's going to fire me. Uh, <clears throat> I want to start um, by telling you a little bit about myself. This is going to be a short sermon because I want to give the time to the Lord's Supper. But I, I've always been an inquisitive um, fellow. I was inquisitive as a child. I used to ask, especially older people, that's a good, that's good advice, by the way, get to know your older people, and ask them all kinds of questions so you're not surprised in college. Um, 
Well, I asked my grandmother all kinds of questions, and one day uh, we were doing things in church that I wanted to understand. So I asked my grandmother, a good old Scotch-Irish lady, looked like she's probably from Mississippi, but she was from Texas. Um, I asked her, I said, Grandmother, what does communion mean? And she said, well, I don't know. I think, I said, what do Methodists believe about it? And she said, well, honey, I, I think we believe a little less than the Catholics, but a little more than the Baptists. <laughs> but she said, honey, I don't think I'll ever understand it because it's just too complicated for me. <laughs> well, it's not too complicated. And uh, I'm afraid in the history of the church, we've just made it too complicated. And I'm about to uncomplicate your complications. Does that sound like Mississippi? I want us to look at the, the Last Supper. I want you to try to put away all of your preconceptions. And everybody here has preconceptions. My grandmother went on to say, I just think it's probably what it says on the communion table, this do in remembrance of me. It's just a remembrance, she said. Well, let's just take those words from the Last Supper. Do you think that Jesus told us to remember just to conjure something up from the, the past? Is Jesus just a past, a past event or a past presence? How do you remember a resurrection? Oh, you can remember virgin birth. You can remember sermons on the mount. You can remember the healing of the blind. You can even remember the crucifixion. But when it comes to the resurrection, it's encounter. Say amen to that. That's John Wesley. We believe in the real presence of a real encounter. Jesus didn't tell us to do this in remembrance of me just to do it. This is not just an ordinance. It's not something we're just doing because we were told to do it. Can you imagine Jesus Christ, who loved people, giving us anything to do that wouldn't help people? And just doing it doesn't help anybody. Do you think he just told us to do it to conjure some past memory? We've already determined that. Of course not. Do we do it just to feel sorry for Jesus having died? Most people think that, really. Oh, look what we did to him. Well, we did. But he's risen from that and with us, took us through death unto life. It's not just a sorrowful experience to come to the Lord's table. It's a glorious experience. Do you know that in the early church, I just found this out a couple of years ago. Did you know that in the first 50 years of the church celebrating Holy Communion, the emphasis was so much upon the resurrection and the second coming that they would close their eyes at the consecration, fully expecting that when they opened their eyes, they would be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
They had set the set, as it were. They had set the table. And Jesus was about to come. Well, he still is. Not in the way they thought, oh, perhaps he will. Wouldn't it be wonderful if 15 minutes from now was the second coming? You see, if you really believe in the presence at the Lord's table, are you ready? You wouldn't be surprised. In the service we're going to do in a few minutes, we're going to say those words that the early church said those 50 years at the very beginning. We're going to say, Maranatha. Will you say it with me now? Maranatha, even so come. Say it with me. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Say it. I think that we have to understand this do in remembrance of me in light of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to the words now. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. There it is. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Jesus said himself in Matthew 18, verse 20, and he must have looked forward to this day in time because he said wherever two or three are gathered together in my name I will be there it's true isn't it to every one of us especially true to those who are here with someone else where two or three by the way there's no promise in that to you in the golf course the promise is to you and your friend You and your spouse. You and your children. Now, is it possible that Jesus Christ could be everywhere else in church and not at his table when we gather there? What did Wesley say again? The real presence, what is it? Of a real encounter with Almighty God. The risen Christ is at the table. And what does he do? Remember, we're talking the paradigm of the Last Supper. What does he do? He hands us bread and wine. I learned this from Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts taught that faith is not something you just close your eyes and strain to have. Faith is something we exercise. It's something we do, and it's something we touch. Faith needs something to do and something to touch. Faith needs created helpers, something created that will help faith. The laying on of hands. Why do we do that? Why don't we just close our eyes and think? No. We lay hands on people to give touch to faith. What about the mud? Have you ever heard a sermon? Probably Chris has never preached a sermon on this. I know Buskirk hasn't. The, the, uh, the Jesus taking mud. Did you ever think about this? Would he take mud and spit and put in somebody's ear? Faith needs a created helper. See, he took saliva and put it on a man who was 
who was dumb as it were, couldn't speak. He put it on his tongue and his tongue was loosed. Faith needs something to touch. Faith needs also something to do. I can hear Oral preaching this. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. Sound like him, don't I? Take up your bed and walk. Do you think he would have been healed if he hadn't tried? Faith was taking up the bed and walk and walking. He said to the to the blind man, go and wash yourself. He put mud in his eye again. Go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Would he have been healed without it? Faith went to the pool and faith washed. He said to the lepers, go and show yourself to the priest. When were they healed? Not that moment, but as they went, as they believed. Faith needs something to do. Faith needs something to do and something to touch. You see, it's not just you eating and you drinking at the table of the Lord. It's your faith eating and your faith drinking. Something to do and something to touch. And now the text. I know you've been waiting on it. Listen to this. Luke chapter 8 beginning with verse 42 and as he went that is Jesus he was on his way to another miracle and he got one on the journey as he went the crowds pressed in on him now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years and though she had spent all that she had on doctors no one could cure her She'd worn them out at St. John's and St. Francis. Hillcrest, too. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes. Actually, it was the tassel of the Jewish prayer shawl. I wish they'd put it here. He touched, she touched the tassel of the prayer shawl. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? Wait a minute. Did she really touch him? Who touched me? When all denied it, I'm sure Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and press in on you. What do you mean, who touched you? But Jesus said, Someone touched me. For he noticed, he said, I felt power. Go forth from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. Did she really? And how she had been immediately healed. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Well, she touched. What did she touch? She touched the hem of his garment. But was the power in the touch? Let me see your heads. Was it? No. She had faith. But was the power in the faith? No. She touched the tassel. But was the power in the tassel? No. The power... 
was in the man. Say amen to that. The power is Jesus Christ. Grace isn't a what. Grace is a who. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God coming in mercy to help us. And a sacrament is God coming through something created to help us. It's a means of grace. She touched the tassel. And she touched it with faith. And the tassel became the means of grace to her. I'm not going to God's not going to ask you to touch a tassel. But Jesus is going to hand you bread and wine. Do so with faith. Touch it with faith. Eat it with faith. It is faith acting as you eat. Faith eating. Faith drinking. You see, at this table, Jesus comes under the sign of what he is. The bread of life. He comes to feed us upon himself. What do you need this morning? What do you long for this morning? What will you come to Jesus for this morning? As you eat and as you drink, exercise faith that you might receive. If you come with faith, you will come receiving. If you come without it, you will deny yourself the grace of God. It's not just something we do for the doing of it. Can you imagine anything Jesus would ask us to do that didn't benefit humanity? Charles Wesley called this sacrament the sacramental close of Christ. He got it from our text. The sacramental close. Here we touch the hem of his garment and we receive. I want to read you a story in closing. It's one that um, comes pretty close to home. I want you to know I've never read it in Tulsa before. It's going to, uh, it won't embarrass you. And I have disguised this story so well that you could never guess who it might be. And you probably wouldn't know anyway. It's a a part of a book I'm going to write on the Lord's Supper when I finish another book. Here it is. I hated to burden my new bride, Ellen, with a surprise dinner guest, but there was a young man in my office I knew needed a taste of our family that evening. We'd only been married a few weeks. I knew she wasn't prepared, but I was hopeful she would understand. She's been understanding ever since. This was the first time I'd done this to her, but it wouldn't be the last time. I was the chaplain of a Midwestern university and had picked up a late phone call after the rest of the staff had already left for the day. It was one of the students who wanted to make an appointment with me after all the rest of the staff was gone. When he entered my office, I knew from the tortured look on his face that it was serious. It really was. 
For over an hour, he poured out a chilling story of his involvement over the past few months in male prostitution at a premier hotel among the wealthiest, the city's wealthiest people. He choked on his own tears, truly broken by the life he was living and likewise seriously desiring to break with it. By the way, he wasn't a homosexual. He was handsome. He was an athlete and all the rest. He could just sell his masculinity for $600 a trick. I was stunned. At this point in my young ministry, I had heard of such things, but couldn't imagine one of our students being caught up in it. Lost for words, myself, I reached for my Bible, hoping to find an appropriate word. The only scriptures I could think of with prostitutes had Jesus sharing his grace with them, his forgiveness with them. I was really struggling to find something to say that would help this young man. Awkwardly, we prayed together precisely what he had expected the chaplain to do. Chaplain's always going to read the Bible. But we both knew that more had to be said and more had to be done. You're going to come to that yourself when words aren't enough and Jesus knew it. Embarrassed at my ineptitude, I excused myself for a moment. That's when an idea hit me. I went to the receptionist's desk and phoned my wife to say that there was a student in trouble in my office, one who didn't need to eat alone. Could he come home with me? It just wasn't a night for the dining hall. When I returned, he was still weeping, overcome with his own confession. I comforted him and suggested that he come home with me for dinner. He reluctantly agreed. On the way to the parking lot, we both grew quiet, unsure of what to say. He followed me home on his Harley Davidson 300. As we entered the the, the apartment, we were both startled to find that, uh, that the table wasn't set for the dinner we expected. Ellen had covered the table with our finest linen cloth. And a silver goblet of wine rested on it, as well as a silver plate with bread. She even had candles burning in the silver candlesticks we had received at our wedding, but had never used. Ellen emerged from the kitchen, and I made the introductions. She seemed overjoyed to have Steve join us. As startling as the whole evening must have been from him to him, he didn't hesitate to take his seat with us. He ran to the table. Looking at the elements of communion, I led a prayer of thanks to the Father, invoking the Spirit that Jesus might come and speak the words he'd spoke on another night to disciples who were about to do dark things. This is my body for you, Steve, and for the whole world. This is my blood poured out for you, Steve, And for the entire world, for the remission of sins, and for you, Steve. Jesus spoke the words that night, words I couldn't find earlier. And with the words, he came himself in mercy to help our newfound friend. His presence was palatable around the table And Steve was deeply touched by God's forgiveness 
and his newfound acceptance at the table of mercy. Yes, we got around to the other meal Ellen had prepared, but neither of us can remember what she served that night. What we do recall was the laughter, (laughs) the hope, and the love we shared, all because of the first course God had served us. I don't know who you are, really, most of you. I don't know where you've been or what you've done. But it's grace time at Abiding Harvest. It's mercy time. This table isn't just for people who are perfect. It's for people who are trying, but it's for people who have failed too. It's for people who have sinned and have no power to overcome. It's for people who need Jesus. And as surely as his word is true, he is here by his own promise. He's here for the sick. He's here for the lonely. He's here for those who need a touch and something to do with faith. Are you hungry? Jesus is here, the bread of life. For this is the place where human need meets the provision of God. Amen. Let's open to the... um, Where did I put? Here it is. Open to your insert. John Wesley said uh, concerning liturgy and hymn singing, I don't think you have any problem with hymn singing. John Wesley said we should do so all things lustily. You know that name, that word? Well, it's the opposite of the Methodist muddle. And we're going to confess our sins first, the great sin from the Book of Common Prayer, the great prayer of repentance. Let's stand. This is a very brief service. And and, uh, let's do that which is uh, in bold lustily. Let's all pray together the prayer that begins, Most Merciful God, and it, Brothers and sisters, I will take over there. We pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this proves God's love 
toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Now, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Holy and merciful God our Father, you have made man and woman in your image and for yourself. You have made this good world for us to enjoy and for us to tend. God our Father, hear the praise of grateful hearts. When our love failed, your love held. When we were held captive, you delivered us. When we were reckless and without restraint, you made covenant with us. God our Father, hear the praise of grateful hearts. In Jesus Christ, you have come to bring us to yourself. By his incarnation, you have found us. By his death, you have saved us. By his resurrection, you have delivered us. God our Father, hear the praise of grateful hearts. In union with Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and with all who worship you, both in heaven and on earth, we offer you our praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread in his hands and he blessed it. We know the blessing he said. Blessed are you, Lord our God and ruler of the universe. You bring forth bread from the field. And afterward, he said to his disciples, Take and eat, each of you and all of you, for this is my body, which is for you. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it. And we know the blessing, he said. Blessed are you, Lord our God and ruler of the universe. You bring forth wine from the vineyard. And then he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, each of you and all of you. And as you do, remember me, for my blood is poured out for the remission of sins. Holy and merciful Father, our God, send down your Holy Spirit on our bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, reconciled to you and one another by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Till Jesus comes in final victory, and we shall feast together at his heavenly banquet. Amen. We pray, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray the prayer which Jesus has placed upon our lips. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. You'll come as you will. The choir, I believe, is coming back to... Here they come. 